Hey everyone, I hope you are surviving the smoky air if you are on the west coast or anywhere in the vicinity. And I hope you are surviving the return to school if you are parenting children. It feels like this is a time of a lot of change and shifting. I know that already outside my office window, the trees are beginning to turn uh, bright yellow and bright red, which is beautiful, but whew, it's feeling a little too soon for it to get cold from my perspective at least. So today on the podcast, I am talking with my friend and collaborator, Dr. Michael Freeman. And Dr. Freeman is a psychiatrist who is one of the few other folks like me in the world, is a mental health professional who really has spent the focus of his career understanding the mental health experience of entrepreneurs. So he's been on the show before, way back in the day on episode 110. During that episode, we talked a lot about mental health problems that show up more often in entrepreneurs, especially things like ADHD and bipolar disorder. Um, Michael is one of the few people who's done pretty systematic research into the prevalence of different kinds of mental health concerns in entrepreneurs. His research summary called, Are Entrepreneurs Touched by Fire? You know, you can search for it through Google and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. He is in the midst of a new research project where he is collecting more data around the mental health experiences of entrepreneurs. And I got to be part, a little tiny, teeny part of um, reviewing some early versions of the tool and am wanting to help support him in getting the word out about this research project. It's a four minute survey. It's anonymous. It just helps us as mental health professionals understand the scope of what people like you might be needing and what would be helpful. We certainly don't assume that every entrepreneur needs a mental health professional, but we want to make sure that folks who are struggling get excellent care and exactly the kind of care that they need based on who they are. So please consider taking a moment and completing that survey it can be found at econa, E-C-O-N-A dot net slash survey. So I'll put that in the show notes and we mention it in the episode. But if you want to weigh in and share your experiences, we'd be so grateful to have you be part of the project. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs. And I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. You've spent so much of your professional career as a psychiatrist thinking about how to understand and keep entrepreneurs healthy. What have been some of the things that you've kind of learned about entrepreneurial mindset over the course of your time in the mental health field? Well, that's a big question, Sherry. And I think at the highest level, probably the most important lesson that I've learned is that there is a biological dimension to the mindset. That there is an entrepreneurial mindset. A lot's been written about that. And that it's not entirely grounded in your genetic code, but it could be as much as 50% 
grounded in your in your genetic code. So when we and ask the questions, are entrepreneurs born or made? You're saying, well, my, kind of say, born, but you're kind of born, <laughs> and that's not exactly accurate. So let me qualify that. But what what is accurate is that people are born with the propensity to become an entrepreneur. So that's the propensity for entrepreneurship. What does that mean? That means that you are born as someone who has higher levels of motivation, higher levels of energy, greater willingness to take risk, more outgoing, someone who looks around corners, anticipates what's going to happen next, sees opportunities, is willing to jump on them, likes to socialize. Those are all propensities. And then if you take someone with the propensity for entrepreneurship and you put them in the right circumstances, they're more likely to start a business than the average bear. So that propensity, that's the 50%. The other 50% can be learned. And I have definitely met people who are not cut from the genetically predisposed cloth who've done pretty well at starting businesses too. So the other 50% can be learned. If you don't have these traits we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, don't despair. You can still be a great entrepreneur. You just have to use a different strategy to get there. So talk me through when you think of the type of person, whether we're using the term mindset or maybe the more traditional psychological term personality, what is the the default or maybe the personality type that's going to sort of best set you up to be successful as an entrepreneur? I'm glad you used that word default because I think of personality as a bunch of default settings in your mind. So what would be an example of a default setting? Well, first of all, let me just acknowledge that you are an entrepreneur. You're the founder of Zen Founder Consulting Firm. You've been doing this for many years now. So you took a risk and you had a vision. You took a risk. You built a business around it. And you've been in business for more than five years now, which means you beat the odds. You are having above average business results. So Given that you're a sort of a risk-taking, thrill-seeking, energetic, highly motivated, visionary entrepreneur, and I'm a cautious, conservative physician that is highly motivated to do no harm, let's just imagine that you and I are driving next to each other and the light turns yellow. What's going to happen? I would argue there's a high likelihood you're going to drive through the light and I'm going to hit the brakes. Why is that? because of our default settings in our mind. That's another way to say personality traits. You are going to recognize the opportunity that awaits you if you get through the light sooner. You're gonna calculate the opportunity cost if you hit the brakes. I'm gonna be focused on the risk that could accrue if I race through the light, and I'm gonna focus on harm prevention risk reduction. That is a personality trait. It's a default setting, and what it means is that in you have a higher likelihood of responding in a certain way in a certain circumstance. So people like us have been talking about and studying personality for a long time. And there are, of course, a lot of different frameworks of personality. And am I correct in remembering that the framework that you like to use or at least have used a lot in your writing and academic work is, is called the, the big five personality? You are correct. However, it's not really me. There has been a lot of research in the last 20 years on the personality characteristics of entrepreneurs. So this is a vast literature. It's very well articulated. The research findings are based on studies of tens of thousands of entrepreneurs. So the profile that's emerged has a high degree of validity. And as you said, the most 
commonly used framework for understanding personality is called the Big Five Personality Trait Profile. And that is because these five personality traits are universal. You will find them anywhere you go, any stage of economic development, people who are living in remote indigenous communities and people who live in advanced, sophisticated urban centers all have these same five personality traits. And in fact, there's a brain footprint. So if you do the right kind of MRI, you can actually visualize where and how in the brain these personality traits work. You can see the neural networks that associate with each one of them. So this is the biological part. In a minute, I'll talk you through how that plays out for entrepreneurs. But there are also about six other personality traits that are not part of the big five. These are more like blended traits. If you think of your big five personality traits as primary colors and you're an artist, you can blend them together to get some different shades. And there are a couple of different shades in there that are also pretty common among entrepreneurs. Okay. So put that all together and that's the archetype. Okay. So let's hear from the the big five language. What are the words or the terms that kind of describe that propensity to hit the gas and go through that yellow light and say, I got places to go, things to do, things to accomplish. What what is that profile in, in big five speak? Well, the five traits are referred to as Openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism, and the acronym everybody uses to remember that is O-C-E-A-N, OCEAN. So we're going to dive into the ocean of personality. And the profile of entrepreneurs is more of some and less of the others. So specifically... They're kind of like dials you turn up and down. They're not like binary. They're ranges, right? They are ranges and... The dials are turned up and down for you at birth, but then there are things you can do to crank them even higher or lower. And that's important to know if you're an entrepreneur because you do have some control over this. And these traits can be a good thing or a bad thing. So it's important to understand how your brain is influencing your mind and decide who wants to be in charge there. But the footprint for the entrepreneur is elevated openness and elevated extroversion. With respect to that one called conscientiousness, it has two like subtraits, and the subtrait of industriousness is elevated among entrepreneurs. But the other subtrait, which is more about orderliness, not necessarily so. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I'm married to an entrepreneur who is very organized and orderly, Rob, as the engineer. And yes. for a while, I thought, I, I can't be an entrepreneur because I'm just not that linear and organized in my processes. But when I hear industrious, I think, you know, sort of hardworking and productive. Correct. Which, you know, I can sign on for that. Well, you have the typical piece. Now, other entrepreneurs may or may not have that orderliness component, but it's not one of the essential building blocks. Though it's helpful, for example, if you're a biotech entrepreneur or a technology entrepreneur, where engineering is a really important piece of the scalable product or service you're working on, then orderliness is very useful because engineering requires order. But that's only one avenue into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Now, the other pieces, uh, the agreeableness is plus minus for entrepreneurs and the neuroticism typically tends to be low for entrepreneurs. So that's, that's the profile. So tell me about plus minus for agreeableness. What does that 
What does that mean? What do you mean by that? Agreeableness is a trait that I often think of as people-pleasing, being nice. Sunny disposition. Well, no, that's actually more warmth. Warmth is more associated with extroversion. It's niceness, it's politeness, it's awareness of the emotions of other people. It's associated with altruism, empathy. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but it can be a problem for entrepreneurs in that if you get too extreme, if you're too extremely agreeable, if you're not a little bit disagreeable, if you're not a little bit sort of focused on doing what's right for the business rather than doing what's right for the people in the business, then you can make the mistake or entrepreneurs can make the mistake of getting their priorities mixed up. And this is a very hard thing. I'll acknowledge for myself as an entrepreneur, because as you said at the beginning, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm a kind of a warm, fuzzy therapy type. And you can't be a good therapist unless you have a lot of compassion for other people and a lot of empathy for other people. So doing what's right for your client, if you're a therapist, is the opposite mandate of doing what's right for the business if you're an entrepreneur. So the entrepreneurs that are the most highly successful, that doesn't mean you can't be nice, but but too much of it can interfere with business results. The other one in the category of traits you're less likely to see among entrepreneurs is the neuroticism. Mm -hmm. Neuroticism, what that basically means is a tendency towards emotional instability. People that have elevated levels of anxiety and depression have elevated levels of neuroticism. The reverse of that is called stability. And the entrepreneurs tend to be more stable, in other words, more resilient, a little bit more able to tolerate stress than average people. So why do they have so much anxiety and depression? If I just said that's the opposite of their personality, it's because they get into way more trouble than the average person. (laughs) And eventually everybody can go over the tipping point. Right. I think to speak to your point, entrepreneurs live pretty big and endure more risk, maybe more ups and downs than your average bear. So although they might not be as predisposed towards anxiety and depression as, as someone else, they're opening themselves to a number of stressors and sort of life complications that would lead them to experience more stress and anxiety then. That's correct. And in our research, what we found, and I should mention here that I've been involved with a research team for many years that studies entrepreneur mental health. So we've done a couple of studies about this. What we find is that the uh, amount of anxiety and depression among entrepreneurs is about the same as it is for everybody else. The reason for that is they put themselves in situations that are more likely to cause you to have anxiety and depression. I can tell you some good stories. It overcomes, they get, they get beyond the tipping point. It overcomes the threshold. And like everybody else, they eventually will get anxious and depressed. Well, in my own selfishness, could we talk a little bit more about openness? The reason that I bring this up is as in our conversations, I let you know that, you know, I'm, I sort of play in the middle on all of these personality characteristics, but there's one that I'm really on the edge of, which means like, 
it's a highly, it's a high part of my personality. And that's this openness to experience category. And I, I think in, in what you found in your research and in the review of the academic literature, this is a common experience for entrepreneurs to be really high on this level of openness to new experience. And tell me what you make of that, maybe what it, what it means. Describe it a little bit. For me, bit. It's, it's my favorite personality trait. <laughs> Mine <them>. too. <laughs> Let me start high level and then kind of drill down on on this to say that all of these personality traits fall into two major buckets. And by the way, the research on this is is mainly done. The best researchers in the world in this area are in Minneapolis. So you can go down the street and meet up with them if you'd like to learn (laughs) more. But the two buckets are broadly construed plasticity which is the tendency to explore and the tendency to engage with possibilities, and stability, which is described as the tendency to restrain emotions and behavior that could be disruptive. Now, as you know, entrepreneurs are disruptors, and people who follow the rules are the ones who really prefer stability. And if you break it down politically, you find that liberals tend to be have higher levels of personality traits associated with plasticity, and the reverse is true for the conservatives. So political orientation also turns out to be subject to genetic influence hmm. and predisposition. Openness to experience, the one that you like, is the most plastic of the plastic personality traits. Openness to experience is all about interest and curiosity in novelty, learning new things, finding out about different situations, experiencing different people, different cultures, different ways of thinking, being very open-minded, not being dogmatic and highly committed to any particular point of view. And the trait itself has two sub-traits, one of which is the openness to experience part, but the other part is intellect. And what you find is that people who are highly open are also smart, generally. That doesn't mean that they get good grades. As you know, it's often the entrepreneurs were often the B students that start the companies where they hire the A students. So it's not intellectual in the, in the way that you measure it on an IQ test, but it's a different kind of smart. It's imaginative, it's innovative, it's kind of problem solving, street smarts, people who get very engaged with ideas, people who like think things through and people who have different kinds of intelligence, like fluid intelligence and nonverbal intelligence, as well as the other kind of intelligence that they do measure on test scores. So on one hand, the openness subtrait is all about innovation and imagination, having aesthetic sensibilities, having openness to sensory experience, openness to fun and fantasy, getting absorbed in whatever it is you do. You can get into your flow state and you think we're going to be talking for 45 minutes. And at the end, it turns out we talked for two hours because it was just so intense and and interesting. And also it's associated with a lot of emotions, wider range of emotions. And also it's associated with action that you're not going to sit around and get bored. You're going to get up, get going and get yourself into situations that you find interesting and that you have curiosity about. So that is kind of openness to experience. I met a guy one time on an airplane, an entrepreneur. I was flying to Europe 
so I talked to the guy sitting next to me, and he was an entrepreneur. He was born in Morocco, but lived in Germany. He was in the food business. He had started a restaurant, and that restaurant worked out, and then he started a second one, and he was up to about four or five restaurants now. And I asked him where he was going, and he told me he was on his way to Cairo. Why are you going to Cairo? He said, well, I take two-week vacations three times a year, but I never know where I'm going to go. And then the week before my vacation, I go on this travel deal website. And wherever I can get a really cheap trip that I, to someplace I've never been, that's where I'm going. And like just two days ago, I booked, I got this trip to Cairo, two weeks, $2,000, everything included. And so that's why I'm going to Cairo. So he was like, this is like an open to experience kind of guy. And he was going here and going there. And everywhere he went, he learned about the culture. He tried different foods. He brought things back to Germany. His restaurant was this kind of global fusion type of restaurant. His customers loved it. It all sort of worked together. Very open to exploration. Like I said, the tendency to explore and engage with possibilities. Mm. And sort of collect a bunch of different ideas, thoughts, experiences, and integrate them, repackage them in novel ways which I know is sort of a superpower for lots of entrepreneurs. If there are entrepreneurs that are listening to this and they're thinking, oh man, this is, this is not me. Like I don't, I'm not an openness to experience kind of person. I like my routines. I like my rhythms. I like to know, you know, I want the chicken sandwich. Like I want the stability. Are there things that folks could do to sort of play into maybe growing some of this part of their personality or is it, is it just fine to not worry about being open or not worry about that kind of exploration? Well, I would say, first thing, even though if you're listening to this podcast and you think that this does not apply to you, you could be wrong. We studied the political orientation of about 1,500 entrepreneurs with a very good national probability sample. In other words, it was not, as far as we know, it was not a biased sample. And the options were you can be Republican, lean Republican, independent lean Democrat or Democrat. So hard right, hard left, and a bunch of stuff in the middle. And what we found was that compared to managers, because we studied managers also, the managers were more likely to be hard right or hard left, and the entrepreneurs were more likely to be leaning one way, leaning another way, somewhere in the middle, more open, independent thinkers and open-minded people. So even if you're someone who leans towards tradition and values and routine and orderliness and that kind of thing, odds are that you're not as extreme as you could be in in any direction. Now, if you are, does that mean you can't be an entrepreneur? No, it doesn't. Like I said, this is only 50% of the story. And for a lot of these traits, if you are not high on this particular default setting yourself, you can hire people who are like that. You can hire a a chief of product, for example, who's highly innovative, highly creative. And all you need to do is have the best people on your team and listen to them. And the product in the market will find where the fit is. And all you have to do is just not get in the way of that. Which is one of the great advantages of doing some of this inner work as an entrepreneur is to sort of know where you are in your personality profile, what your default settings, to go back to that term, 
tend to be so that you know where there may be some gaps where it's really to your benefit to, to hire people who have different strengths or different personality traits than you. Of course, that's not always easy to, to work with someone who's really built in a different way with different default settings than you have. But generally speaking, there are lots of advantages to that in terms of filling out the available skills and talent on your team. And that's why people who are open-minded do better with entrepreneurship because good ideas can come from anywhere. Good ideas can come from people who are old or young or Hispanic or Asian American or black or this religion or that religion or this political or that political belief. Good ideas come from everywhere. So if you are open-minded, you don't screen people out based on diversity. Mm. You like diversity because that's where you can discover who your customers are, what the product needs to be, and different ways of thinking about things and looking at things. And I I think that the entrepreneurs who do succeed have to be at least open-minded enough to tolerate different points of view among their customers and their suppliers and their investors and the members of their team. Otherwise, it's, it's very hard to enter and kind of dominate a market niche with a product. Yeah, absolutely. There's one more thing, Sherry. You were talking about self-awareness and the importance of self-awareness. My work, I'm a psychiatrist, and so I also pay attention to the mental health dimensions of this. And it turns out that these personality traits do associate with some mental health problems. So people who are very highly loaded, let's say, for openness and intellect have a greater likelihood of kind of drifting into what I call the bipolar spectrum. Bipolar spectrum means a tendency to have high energy and be, and being charismatic and decreased need for sleep and lots of ideas and coming up with many plans and elevated motivation. And then if that cycles up, you can actually become manic or manic depressive or bipolar. And we found that among the entrepreneurs, the likelihood of being somewhere in that bipolar spectrum is greater than you would find among managers, for example. So if you're going to have self-awareness about your personality, I think it's also important to have self-awareness about how the personality can lead you into mental health issues as well. I discussed this kind of taking a page from Jung in the sense that we talk about the the superpowers and the shadow side, right? The benefits of having a default setting toward openness, but then of course it comes with its own liabilities. And I think most entrepreneurs have a sense that some of their greatest strengths also carry in them a liability and helping people to understand like the gifts of their personality also helps them to understand the ways in which that personality can steer them into troubled waters or into difficult territory. We talked about this a little bit with the agreeableness trait, which you, you definitely want some agreeableness. You, you want that ability to read and understand other people to please them, to have that emotional intelligence. But yet if that is too high, then you're not able to fully engage your mind toward the benefit of the business. It, it becomes more people-pleasing than actually thinking through what's, what's to the benefit of everyone. And the same if it's too low. The opposite of agreeableness is called antagonism. And I'm sure you've met highly antagonistic people 
yeah. over the course of your life. People that just have a chip on their shoulder are angry and blame and criticize and have a lot of hostility. So people, entrepreneurs who are very, very low on agreeableness, it's another way of saying very high, very more likely to be disagreeable, more likely to be antagonistic. I have seen them blow up their companies. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of my very first experiences as a professional in this space was I was hired by a venture capital company to be the chief medical officer of a new health plan, health insurance firm. And the CEO was just brilliant, but very antagonistic. And he basically alienated his entire senior leadership team and everybody quit. Yeah. And end of business. Yep. <laughs> I've seen that happen <laughs> myself where you have someone who's brilliant and contrarian enough to push the agenda forward, but yeah. not agreeable enough to bring people along. And that's obviously yeah. a difficult space to be. So I've gotten to know you a little bit, Sherry. I know that you tend to be kind of shy, withdrawn, retiring the wallflower that stands <laughs> on the side at the party and nobody ever gets to know you socially because I generally just don't like people. You, yeah. Well, it's not, <laughs> and I'm afraid like of them. them. <laughs> yeah. It's just that you kind of avoid them. But I, I think maybe we should take a minute also to talk about that other uh, entrepreneurial trait extroversion that mm -hmm. most entrepreneurs have like more than their fair share of that. Michael's being sarcastic, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I assume people yeah. who listen to this podcast know that by now. So yeah, extroversion, that's an interesting one because it does, entrepreneurs do tend to load high on extroversion. They are outgoing people, which is what I like about entrepreneurs. I really enjoy working with entrepreneurs because by and large, entrepreneurs are people people. They like to network. They like to hang out. They like to meet new people. They are enthusiastic and they can be very warm. So this is a, a package of personality characteristics that all comes together under this one trait, which again is at least 50% biological. I did meet a guy once again who asked me uh, at a conference, he asked me, if you happen to be someone with social anxiety, if you happen to be someone who is a little different from you and me and tends to be like shy and really avoidant of other people, is it possible to be an entrepreneur? And I said, yeah, it actually is because this is 50% genetic, but the other 50% you can learn. And he told me this story about how he took public speaking classes and social skills classes and read all the self-help books and practiced talking to people he didn't know when they were in line at the grocery store and basically taught himself how to be an extrovert. And he overcame his shyness and he built a very successful company. I think I run into this a lot because I work so often in the technology industry. And I think that a lot of tech entrepreneurs you know, may come into that field originally as developers or they're great at coding. They have a lot of technical expertise, which in some ways is a relatively introverted activity, right? It's you with the code. It's you requiring yourself to spend long hours alone solving problems and thinking through your own inner ideas. And I think people making that jump to be entrepreneurs after they've been successful technologists are often working on acquiring some more extroversion related skills. So I think that in so many ways, I'm sure you're familiar with Susan Cain's work on introversion and this idea of quiet as a, as a superpower to, to see and perceive the world 
there are lots and lots of benefits to that. But learning those people skills is sometimes something that, as you're talking about, we have to do by rote because it doesn't come as naturally to us. And I think in addition to public speaking skills, one of my um, entrepreneur friend took a lot of uh, classes in improv comedy. And that was the way that he really kind of cracked open his ability to be a people person because it gave him all of these playful, fun ways to engage with people. Also, just the confidence that's required when you are putting yourself out there without a script or without, without knowing what's going to happen, which of course is a fun part of improv. So anyway, and great ways to Improvisation <laughs> is a big piece of entrepreneurship. Improvisation, you're always improvising as an entrepreneur. So, and improvisation is related to both extroversion and openness to experience. So we talked about the biological traits that entrepreneurs typically are born with, the industriousness, industriousness the, the, sort of the achievement striving, self-discipline, competence, productivity, deliberation, and then the extroversion, which has these two sub-traits. One is enthusiasm and the other is assertiveness. The extroversion goes with leadership and assertiveness. And people are willing to follow extroverted leaders because they're also warm and enthusiastic and kind of charismatic. And then the openness and then the intellect. But I said that there were a bunch of other traits that are more like blends. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested, I can kind of tell you what's on that list as yeah, well. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Well, the one that has the most research behind it is called self-efficacy. And self-efficacy, what that means is people have self-confidence and they are also capable of doing a lot on their own. And one of the reasons that entrepreneurship and self-efficacy goes together is because when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have a job description. You have to do product and strategy and business development and operations and all kinds of other things. One guy I work with, uh, an entrepreneur, he basically said, I just don't have a big enough budget to hire all the talent I need. So I just accept the fact I'm going to have to learn every skill set I need mm -hmm. in order to make this business work. That's self-efficacy. Is intrinsic motivation also part of that? Motivation is, that's a good question. I would say Motivation is actually, it's related to a lot of personality traits, but it's most highly related to industriousness because mm. people who are industriousness have a high need for achievement Okay. and they strive. So achievement striving, I think is what you mean mm. by motivation and persistence and tenaciousness. I think that's the bucket that that lives in the most, but not exclusively Motivation is also related to reward seeking and people who are open-minded are always they're the mice who are trying to find the cheese mm -hmm. and people who are extroverted get energized by feedback from other people. And so they're always kind of seeking this kind of positive interaction and that's motivating as well. I think that self-efficacy is more related to self-confidence. Okay. Once you are motivated, then just because you've never changed a tire before doesn't but, mean you won't drive a car. It's sort of the default setting of like, I can figure this out. Yeah, and if I can't, there's a YouTube. Right, there's uh, a YouTube video <laughs> for that, right? Which is also part of the, I can figure this out or I'll figure out how to figure it out. Exactly. So another one of those blendy kind of traits is called internal locus of control. Entrepreneurs think they are in charge of their own destiny. 
it's a false belief. Right, but they believe it heartily. <laughs> but, but they believe it. <laughs> and it's true to some extent, whereas people, a lot of people believe that they are just victims of the world around them and yeah. everything is happening to them and it's all somebody else's fault. That's external locus of control. The entrepreneurs tend to believe that they can at least control uh, some dimensions of their destiny and they tend to therefore be proactive and figure out what they can do and then they hop on it and they do it. They don't feel sorry for themselves and they don't blame other people for their problems. They have more of a can-do attitude and just try to fix it, whatever is getting Assuming responsibility. Assuming This is on me. Yeah. Now, the big one we talked about it a little bit is risk propensity. Mm-hmm. That relates to a lot of those big five traits we mentioned, but if you just pull it out and look at it separately, the propensity to take risk, the driving through the yellow light, that is almost necessary trait to have as an entrepreneur. There's the old saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Entrepreneurs are venturing something. They're risking mm-hmm. something in order to gain more than they, they see that the opportunity cost is lower than the possible upside. Again, these traits lead to cognitive biases. The reality is most entrepreneurs failed. And if from an academic point of view, if you zoom out, what you should really say is, something ventured, something lost. Or the way that the people with anxiety would frame it is the person who walks across the street can get hit by trucks going both ways. But that's not how it looks to the entrepreneur. To the entrepreneur, a lot of these risks are worth taking. And why is that? That has to do with another one of these blendy kind of traits, need for autonomy. Mm -hmm. I one time met an entrepreneur that I wanted to do a project with. And she told me, I don't really want a job. And that's because she has a high need for autonomy. She likes to be independent. Mm-hmm. Well, entrepreneurs like to be independent. They don't want jobs. In fact, there's research on this. And what has been found is that entrepreneurs are willing to have a lot less, lot fewer rewards in their careers. They'll trade that off in order to have more independence. To have more they freedom. Have more freedom. Entrepreneurs in general have lower initial earnings and they have lower lifetime earnings they work harder, they have less vacations, less time with friends and family, all on behalf of greater autonomy. Mm-hmm. And so this, this need for achievement and this need for autonomy and the willingness to take risk, because if, if you take a risk and it works out, then that means you can have sustained independence. That's a big personality trait of entrepreneurs. Again, yeah. it's with a, with a dark side and also with some superpowers yeah. um, attached to it. Well, it is it is just fascinating to to hear you talk about all of this. I think you're you are probably one of the most learned people about the entrepreneurial mindset or the inner workings of an entrepreneur's mind. So it's it's amazing to hear you talk through this. And I know that part of the, your expertise comes from doing some of this research yourself. Maybe not exactly on personality characteristics right now, but on mental health concerns and profiles within entrepreneurs. And we'll put this in the show notes as well, but I know that one of the things that you're working on right now that I get to be a little bit of a part of is conducting another survey looking at the mental health experiences of entrepreneurs. So it's like four minutes, it's anonymous, it's really accessible and easy. And it's one of the only ways that we as mental health professionals learn what entrepreneurs need and how we can best support them. So, uh, and people can go to that survey through your website, which is Econa, 
econa.com. Is it .com or .net? Okay, .net. So econa.net, and we'll put that in the show notes with a link so you can just link directly there. But that kind of research and survey participation is super helpful in helping people like Dr. Freeman and, and people like me understand how we can best support entrepreneurs on their journeys. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I would, if I can take a second, I would like to, I would like to second that emotion Mm. and encourage everybody who's listening to take uh, this four minute anonymous survey. Econa, that's a project that I'm working on right now with a bunch of other really wonderful people who care about the well-being of entrepreneurs. And at the end of the day, we're trying to create an emotional safety net. I got four entrepreneurs. I, I, at a certain point, as a psychiatrist, I started working with entrepreneurs who had very tragic life outcomes, mental health outcomes, and realized when the ships are down, there's really no place for entrepreneurs to go. And a lot of people really are suffering and do get into serious depressions. In our research, we found 3% of entrepreneurs have suicidal ideation. 1.4% have a history of psychiatric hospitalization. So with Econa, we're trying to, at a minimum, create a soft landing for people who wipe out or who are vulnerable or at risk of wiping out. More importantly, I think an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And there's a lot that you can do as an entrepreneur to guard yourself against these vulnerabilities and to prevent yourself from getting derailed under certain circumstances. Maybe we can talk more about that later. So we'd love to do a lot of prevention. And then on the high end, as Sherry was saying, all of these personality traits and mental health differences are associated with superpowers. And the more we can boost your superpowers, the more effective you can be. So if you take this four-minute survey, it helps us understand what can be done to improve both the resources available to individual entrepreneurs and the ecosystem as a whole. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, amazing. Thanks so much for your time, Michael, and for your work, your long-term work um, dedicated to helping entrepreneurs be well and healthy. Thank you for your work translating all of this into ways of learning that entrepreneurs can really use accessibly and apply in their own life circumstances. I think that what you're doing is terrific and very much needed. So thank you. Mm, Thanks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.